0: Thanks for listening to this message from The Block KC. The Block KC exists to help young adults build their lives on what counts. We believe that is Jesus and what God has revealed in His Word. We'd love to see you next Thursday, 7 p.m., at Lenexa Baptist Church. Now, let's listen to this week's message. up block KC. If you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to start out. Uh, tonight or actually Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis, if you're new to the Bible, you've come on a good night because Genesis is at the top of the list on your phone or it's at the very beginning if you've got the real book with you. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to begin tonight. Um, my name is Chad Glover and I have the privilege of getting to be on staff at Abundant Life and get to be a part of a ministry called Paradigm like you heard earlier from Charlie. And I mean, it's just my privilege to be able to give back to this generation. I am, I'm on the, the older end of the millennial generation and I love I love so much just getting to roll up my sleeves and partner with this generation and the Gen Zs and and really just urge you to be able to navigate this life that God has given you, especially in this season of life, which is such a critical season of your life in a way that would bring him the greatest glory. Hopefully, you the greatest joy and bring so much good to this world. And so, I'm so privileged to be able to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, let me introduce my family to you. We're talking about a real biblical masculinity, and so I want to show some proof of my masculinity. And um, and so here we are, right here. Here, there we go. Yep. <laughs> so that's my wife, and uh, those are my, mine and hers. Three kids, and my wife Chelsea and I were coming up on 16 years of marriage, and we have three daughters. I am a minority in a sorority. Y'all pray for your boy. I, would, I did not know what I was getting into with, with marriage. And then I got all these girls. And so um, my oldest is Lydia. She's 11. And then Elizabeth is, is 10. And then Anna Joy is 6. And they went to the high dive today, y'all. And they learned how to do a flip yesterday. And they were flipping fools today at the high dive at the pool. And so I'm just so grateful to be a dad. And I'm so honored to be able to be in in their life, and they've shaped me in so many ways. And being, being a family man is such an incredible gift and such an incredible honor. And so that's a little bit about me. I want to tell you one other story that will kind of set the stage for tonight. And, uh, this is one of those stories where it's like, man, this ended in a tragedy in a humorous way. And so I don't know if you like to see people uh, do like epic fail things. I don't know if you get epic fail videos on your algorithms. Well, they've got my number And So I'm watching people bust their tail all the time. And I've done that a few times in my life. And, and one of the stories in, in my history is that I wanted to get a motorcycle when I was a teenager. Any motorcycle people here tonight? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was expecting a little more, you know, bass out of that. There, but yeah, you go, girl. So, anyway, um, I, I wanted to get a motorcycle because I, I graduated high school when I was 17, and so I was late to the driving game. And in Texas, you could get a Class M license or a Class motorcycle license. And so, when you're 15, so I'm like, all right. And we had this motorcycle, and so I pulled it out of the barn. And I remember my dad driving it a few years back. And I asked my dad, I said, Hey, dad, what's going on with the motorcycle? And He said, Well, just needs a little bit of work. Pretty much everything in my childhood just needed a little bit of work. That's the kind of household I grew up in. And we had a lot of duct tape and you know a lot of used things in my household. And so the motorcycle needed a little bit of work. So my dad and I we get it out. Well, the engine was completely free or seized on the on the motorcycle. So we had to rebuild the engine. From the ground up and I don't know if you've ever done something like this but it's not a weekend project all right so we take about six months and like I don't know how you were when you were 15 but guys you were probably just like me you had grand visions of being the envy of everybody in the high school you know especially when you start thinking about motorcycles here's what here's what I had in my mind's eye man I'm gonna be wearing a tank top you know sun's out guns out in December all right riding this motorcycle and all the guys are going to see me drive by and be like wow he's so cool you know and then all the ladies are going to see me drive by and go woo you know like you know and just And, like, that was my vision, right? That was my vision. So, like, I'm working on this thing. I'm like, this is going to be awesome, man. This is going to be a game changer. Well, the day came for me to ride the motorcycle. I told you I grew up with a lot of duct tape. And so let me explain what was going on on the motorcycle. We had to work on various parts of the motorcycle. So in order to get it rideable on this particular day, we took a water bottle, a Dasani water bottle, to be exact, and we zip-tied it to the frame of the motorcycle. That was the gas tank. And then we ran hose out of the water bottle into the carburetor so that it could get gas to the engine. And the seats had been chewed up by some rats, so we just put some pillows from the couch on the frame of the motorcycle, and then the battery was held right, right here where my Bible is. And the case that held the battery in place, those that got run over in the yard because we left them out, and so the battery was just kind of hanging out right there. And you had to roll start this bike, and so... You know, I get on the motorcycle after seeing my dad roll-start it down the hill. I grew up out in the country, so you went down the hill. There was woods right here. You had to turn this way to dodge the woods into the front yard and then catch up with the driveway. You could take the driveway down to the highway because I grew up in the country. We had a little bit of land. All right, you with me? And so I see my dad roll-start the motorcycle, goes down. He turns left of the woods. goes to the front yard to the driveway, down to the highway, turns around, comes back. Vroom, vroom. It was awesome. And he says, son, are you ready to ride the motorcycle? I said, yes, sir. Now, keep in mind, it was about this time of year, in Texas, and I'm wearing shorts and tennis shoes, and that's it. No helmet, no body gear, nothing, all right? And I'd never roll-started anything before. My dad didn't ever teach me how to roll-start something. He said, well, you just got to roll-start it. And like a 15-year-old, I said, all right, got it. (laughs) You know, I got this. I get on the motorcycle with the water bottle, gas can can right here, (laughs) and and the battery right underneath me sitting on a pillow, and I start down the hill, and I'm trying to roll-start this thing, having no idea how to roll-start something. And so I'm giving it gas, and it's not getting in gear. And then finally, I do whatever you're supposed to do, and it kicks into gear, and I'm on the throttle, and I just, I freak out, y'all. And I take off, and when I'm supposed to turn left to dodge the woods, I go straight into the woods. And I'm picking up speed and the inevitable happened, I ran straight into a tree, went over the handlebars like Superman and dodged the tree with my head or I'd be more messed up and facially disoriented than I am tonight. And I hit the tree with my thigh and like the bike goes, the water bottle gas gasket goes off of it, the battery falls off of it and like I'm just grateful to be alive. My dad was inside getting a beer, that's some of y'all's daddies, right? He was inside getting a beer, and so he didn't even see the thing. My brother's out there like, Chad just died. He goes in and tells my dad, Dad, Chad just died. You know, dad comes out, and I'm walking, and my adrenaline's pumping. And he says, are you okay? I said, yes, I'm okay. He starts to laugh at me, y'all. This is some of y'all's dad, right? He starts to laugh at me. He says, well, go get the motorcycle, pick up all the parts, and bring it back up to the hill. We're going to see if it'll start. So I walk down there, and do all the stuff he told me to do, bring it up to the hill. We had this guy named Tony living with us at the time, and he said, hey, Tony, would you touch the battery cable to the battery, and I'm going to see if it'll turn over. Well, it's covered in gasoline by this time, y'all. So as soon as he touches the battery cable to the battery, a spark takes place, and my dad's smoking a cigarette over this motorcycle as it gets engulfed in flames. And then he just looks at me as he's got a cigarette hanging out, and he says, well, don't just stand there, son. Go get the water hose, right? And so I don't know if you've ever seen you know, certain movies where like a bunch of chaos takes place, and it just seems like forever, or if you've ever been in one of these moments where it just seems like forever, this was one of these moments. It just seemed like the gasoline fire lasted forever on the motorcycle, and eventually, like four days later, he got it out, smoking that same cigarette. That's what it felt like anyway. It was just a few moments later, he puts the gas fire out (laughs) And all of my dreams just kind of go up in flames. My dad, God love him, he's, he's dead now, but we would reminisce and tell the story. And, and he would just kind of laugh about it. And he would say, you know what, after all that happened, it dawned on me that I never taught you how to drive a motorcycle. <laughs> now, the reason why I share that with you tonight is because, you know, I thought I knew what I was doing. I was out there like, oh, it's simple, I'm just going to ride the motorcycle and and I'm going to figure it out and, and whatever I don't know, it'll all work out and I thought I knew what I was doing and I really didn't have any instruction and I just got out there and ripped it to the best of my ability and it ended in me almost really, really getting hurt and it ended in flames and the reason why I start there tonight is because this is a common experience for a lot of you men when it comes to manhood. Like we have these ideas of what it means to be a man, right? Like we watch movies, or we got family members, some of us grow up in different parts of the nation, or different parts of the world, and when it comes to be a a man, some of you, you grew up in a part of the country where it's like, you gotta have a beard if you're gonna be a man, you know? You gotta have a a real beard. Not some baby beard that's speckled, but a real beard, you know, that's what it means to be a man. Others of you think, well, you gotta know what you're doing around guns. Others of you, it's you gotta know what you're doing with girls. Some of you, it's money. Some of you, it's muscles, some of you, it's it's grills and tats and 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 big wheels and gold chains. Others of you, it's it's something else altogether. And for many of us, when it comes to being a man, most of us are just trying to rip it and do the best we can. But if we don't know what we're doing, then we're gonna end up hurting ourselves, crashing and burning. And here's what happens. When a man hurts himself and when a man crashes and burns, it's typically not just him. He typically brings someone else with him. And for most of us men, the reason why we don't know the way of manhood, the reason why we don't know, what the, know the way of biblical manhood is because no one ever showed us. And so now we come in here tonight and, and we're all in adult bodies. You know, and, and most of you, you, you have to shave, you know, and, and you've got a real job, and, and you've got a car, you, and you're, you're an adult male, but many of you don't know what it means to be a biblical man, and so you're in this adult body, but you're just a boy that can shave because you don't know the direction because no one showed you, and I think that most men are here tonight trying to do the best job you can do, and tonight, we're going to look at some things, that are going to show us the way of biblical manhood. And this is my story, y'all. When I grew up, I grew up in a household. My dad was not a godly man at all. He was a good man that worked hard, tried to do us right, but he was not a godly man, and the pressure of life eventually caused him to cave in. It was Mother's Day when I was 12 years old. Some of y'all have a story just like this. You woke up just a normal day. For me, it was Mother's Day, 12 years old. My mom and my two brothers, they were already at church. My dad woke me up. Apparently, I slept in. He said, son, you need to get ready. I'm going to drop you off at church. And his bags were packed. My dad traveled the world. He worked in shipyards and in oil fields. And so it wasn't uncommon for him to be abroad from time to time, but he wasn't supposed to go anywhere. And that day, I saw something for the first time in my life. I saw my rough roughneck, shipyard-working daddy with nine fingers that worked hard his whole life. I saw him begin to weep. And I was like, what's going on? He said, son, get ready for church. I said, well, where are you going? He said, your mother do not want me here anymore. I'm leaving. Get ready for church. And I don't know what transpired after that. You know, 12 years old. Y'all, y'all I mean, y'all been through something like this where it just seems like the fog of life and like what's going on. And, and I remember getting myself ready and just kind of just sucking in all of my emotions. That's what guys do a lot of times. And my dad drops me off at the church, of, a, of, a, of the curb of a big church much like this one. I don't think he says, I love you. He didn't give me a hug. He didn't shake my hand. I just let myself out of the door, shut the door, and then he drove off and went out across the state to West Texas. And I walk upstairs and see my mom, and and as soon as I see my mom, I just start crying. And so when it came to seeing a man who locks it in when it gets difficult, I saw my dad run. And so here's what I did. I start running to sports. I did what a lot of y'all do. Like if dads can't be the picture of masculinity, I I need a picture of masculinity. So I start running to sports and looking to coaches to give me what it means to be a man. And I learned some good things through sports. I learned some good things through the teachers that I had in my life. But listen, it wasn't until I became a young adult that I began to learn the way of God. And it wasn't until I was a young adult that I was ready to receive the way of biblical masculinity. And when I was about 20 years old, man, God, he changed my life, y'all. He, he moved in, broke me over my, He broke me of my sin, and he showed me grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we're going to talk about that more tonight. But he gave me a new heart, and I began to search his word and begin to discover the way of biblical masculinity. And tonight, we're going to talk about what it means to be God's man we're going to talk about real biblical manhood. If you're taking notes, men, I hope that you are, because hopefully you've come in here tonight to learn some things. I'm going to give you some things that men, you need to aim your life towards. These are the these are the areas you need to be running towards. And then ladies, I've got three little girls. I'm constantly talking to them about the type of man that they should allow pursue them. And I'm constantly trying to model for them the type of man that they should allow pursue them. And so ladies, you've come in here tonight. This one's for the fellas. And I'm going to preach a little bit harder than I would normally because sometimes that's how I like to be spoke to and sometimes that's how I need to be spoke to. But ladies, this will be something that you can have your crosshairs set on and you don't settle for any other man than a man that's marked by these things that we're going to talk about tonight. Amen? And so men, I need you to listen up. Take some notes. She's watching. Okay, so prove to her that you're trying to get better, all right? And then ladies, I need you to begin to put all the men that you have on your dating app right now through this grid, all right? So don't go out with them. Don't go out with them. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this simply God's Man. God's Man. I'm going to call you men to walk in the way of biblical manhood tonight. I'm going to talk about the waywardness of men. And before we leave tonight, I'm going to talk about the way back to God. At Genesis, it literally means beginnings. It's the book of beginnings. And many of you know you, you know much about the Bible. And it, this is the creation account. And so in Genesis chapter 1, you just see that God is creating all that we know that is that God in his triune nature is creating. And, and he's just saying he, he said things, and it was, and, and it was good. And it's this rhythm, and it's this harmony. And, and then he creates man. And in Genesis 1, we have a creation account telling. And then Genesis 2, we have a retelling of the creation account. And in Genesis 2, if you have a copy of God's word, Genesis 2, verse 7, here's what it says. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living thing. Now note this real quick, men. Men, you were made first. That doesn't make you any better. But there comes certain responsibilities because God made men first. That you don't need to, you don't need to placate. You don't need to downplay them. You don't need to apologize for them. Here's the point, men. you got to own it. If you, remain, if you were made first, there's certain responsibilities that you've got to bear that you need to rise to the occasion. God made man first. And notice he made man from the dust of the ground, and then he's got kind of this clay image, uh, I guess, and then then what makes man come alive is when God breathes his spirit into this dust body. That, that, That whatever God had made was just kind of there like a mannequin, and it was just kind of there existing, but then God breathed his spirit into the nostrils of that man, and that man became alive. That many, here's the point, that you need to have God's spirit breathed into you. You gotta be consumed by the living God if you're gonna be the man that God made you to be. And so some of you, you've come in here tonight and you're merely existing. Uh, you're just kind of like a body that's here. And listen, the Block KC has, has began. The Block KC is here in Johnson County. The Block KC is here because it's trying to help all people who are merely existing to experience the living God and start truly living, to be filled with the breath of God Almighty. And so this guy that God's creating, we know him is Adam. He was just like a, a, a you know, a dirt. And then God breathed into his being, and it begins something that was existing, someone that was walking with God. If you jump over to verse 8, it says this, that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. If you jump over to verse 15, it says this, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. To tend and keep it. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down the way of men. The way of men. We're starting to see one of the first primary base callings to all men. And I'm gonna give you three things that we're gonna see from this little section of Genesis chapter two that every man needs to dedicate their life to. The first thing that God wants every man to do is He wants you to have a work to enjoy, He wants you to have a work to enjoy. I know this has been talked about a lot at the Block KC. I think Nick recently preached a message about work and how we are supposed to view our vocation as our mission. But listen, here's just a couple of observations. Work is not a result of sin. Think about this. God, he went to work six days and he rested a seventh. If God went to work, then what God is portraying about himself is that there is something divine about work that every man needs to have work that he is committed to. I would contend that you need work just as much as you need food, that you need work just as much as you need water. I would contend that you need work more than you need sex, men. Work is as, it is as natural, it is as normal, it is as base to the human experience as anything. You are created to have a work to enjoy. That God, he calls you to tend and, and to keep. That's what he's saying to Adam. I need you to tend and to keep. These two words, tend and keep, when you do a little bit of a word study, you'll find that tend, it literally can be translated serve. That your job, your work is meant to serve society. The reason why we have a society that is as great as it is, I know that America has some problems, but it's still a pretty great nation to live in. And the reason why we have a society that is as great as it is is because there's an army of men that serve every day to make the thing flow the way it's supposed to flow. And men, you are a part of that army. So rise up and work. Uh, this word keep, it can literally mean protect. Protect, men, you're the protectors of society. Not that women can't stand and defend. I'm not saying anything about that. This isn't to down anything, ladies, on you. You are awesome, and we talked about you last week. And I could say a ton more about you, trust me. But men, you are called to protect. There's gonna be a time in your life where you're gonna to have to take a stand and you're gonna to have to stand up for what is right. There's going to be a time in your life, and, and it may be at a school board meeting, it may be going to war, or it may be somewhere in, in between those two things. But men, you protect. That's why there's certain things, men, you should be walking on the outside of the sidewalk when you're walking a young lady down the street. Uh, you, should be, you should be holding open the door. All of these things are serving and protecting. These are chivalrous things. We need to reclaim some of those things as men. We're called to work, and our work should be serving. Our work should be protecting. It should be benefiting society. And one final thing, just on this one section, is that one of God's greatest invitations to you men is your vocation, is your vocation. And so here's a quick question, quick question, guys. Do you always complain about your job? Is, is work just, oh my gosh, I just, oh, blah, 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 get over it, okay? God made you to work. Sometimes my wife, she's just, she knows this too well, Okay. And I'll just tell her, like, hey, babe, I think, I think I'm just going to go in late today. She's like, go in late? What are you, why are you going to go in late? You're a man. You need to go to work. That's what she tells me, you know. I'm like, I'm just getting tired. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're a man. Go to work, you know. She didn't cut me any slack. And I need a woman like that in my life. So, women, you need to know what men are supposed to be doing so that you can hold them accountable from time to time. And so, men, you're called to go to work. And a mark of biblical masculinity is that you run towards work, not away from it. We pick up in verse 16, and the Word of God just goes on and says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. I love that. Look at all these trees you can freely eat from. He says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, here's the warning, you shall surely eat die. We're talking about the way of men tonight. We're here at Block KC. We've come here so that we can learn the way of biblical masculinity. This is how you're going to become God's man. You're going to have a work to do. The second thing is you're going to have a will to obey. A will to obey. God has Adam. You get the picture, right? It's just Adam and God and they're in this garden and God says, hey man, this is awesome. And he's like, yeah, this is awesome. And uh, he says, man, look at all these trees. You can freely eat of all these trees, but I got just, here, here's the Bible, the Bible on a fortune cookie. All right, Bible could have been contained on a tweet. All right, so like Bible is just a little bit. All right, and so like the one memory verse that you gotta get, there's that one tree, just don't eat of it, because if you do, you'll die. And I'm sure Adam just looks at God, however this works, and he says, yes, sir, got it. That if you're gonna be a godly man, you have to have a will to obey. So what are the things that God has told men to do? What are the things that we can come in here collectively as men that God has called us to do? Well, here's one thing God's called you to do. He's called you to know him. Like Adam walked with God. How amazing is that? That there are some things that if you want to obey God, will seek him. Listen, you cannot, this may sound so rudimentary, you cannot be God's man without a relationship with God. And I think so many of us will come to a place like this to try to get some tips and tricks on how to be a better, good guy. When the whole goal of all of, this, of all of this is so that we would know God and we would walk deeply with him. That would solve so many of our issues and so many of our wrecks in life and so many of the flames that are going up on our motorcycles, so to speak, is if we just commit to know God. So men, you lead the way in knowing God. A healthy sign of a church is that you can hear the men singing, all right? Raise up a song. And raise up a war battle cry for Christ's sake. And raise up a a, a song and lead. And know God. Don't let the women outpace you. But sadly, y'all do, ladies. And praise God for godly women. But men, it's time for us to keep up. The second thing that you need to do is you need to work hard. We've already talked about that. Don't complain about how hard your job is, especially not to a woman. because she'll tell you, you're a man. You need to work, all right? The second thing, what are the things that God's told me to do, Uh, Here's number three, cultivate where you are. Again, God put Adam in the garden, and he said, make the wilderness look like the garden. So here's a question, men. Are the places that your foot steps in, are the places that you reside in, are the places that you go to, are you cultivating the wilderness around you to look like a garden? Are Are you making where you walk a better place? And if you want to be God's man, if you want to obey God, you got to know Him. You got to work hard, but then you got to cultivate the environment around you. What does this look like? It looks like you being kind to the people around you. It looks like you bringing optimism instead of pessimism. It, it looks like you bringing you bringing joy instead of cynicism. It, it looks like you bringing encouragement instead of sarcasm. It looks like you bringing protection instead of danger. You cultivate the area around you. And then here's the last thing. What are you supposed to do? If you want to will or obey, you got to freely eat. Freely eat. God, again, God puts Adam in the garden and says, man, of all the trees, you freely eat of those things. So guys, like, like, here's what's so lame to me. When I meet a Christian man that's no fun, I'm like, bro, you don't know God. Like, you need to have some fun. It's okay to compete. It's okay to go out to the lake. If, if you're here and you're the pyromaniac dude that's wanting to fire off a bunch of fireworks, go for it, man. Of all the trees, freely eat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there are certain things that we should do as men, Christian men, that should just, like the world should be looking at us going, man, I've got to become a Christian because those guys make it look so awesome, you know? I remember when I first started following Jesus, I was in college, and I, and I had some buddies of mine, and we all started following Jesus at the same time, and, and we consistently got accused of being intoxicated. And we, we never drank. We were all teetoters, man. We, my dad was alcoholic. My best friend's mom was alcoholic. We didn't touch it. But we had so much fun that people thought we were just, we were drunker than a Hooter Brown, you know? That's a Southern saying, I'm sorry. But I mean, like, like people just thought, like what's going on with them, you know? We're just laughing, having a good time. And listen, it's okay to enjoy life. And if you're a man, this is a part of you obeying God. Eat freely of the tree, enjoy things, enjoy things. What are some things we're not supposed to do? Again, in this section, he gives us a will to obey. And he says, Adam, do these things. But then he says, don't do these things. And here's, here's kind of an overarching thing. Don't eat of the things that bring death. Don't eat of the things that bring death. What are the things that bring death? Let me give you a few things. They're kind of in in, uh, opposite of what we talked about. One thing that brings death is apathy towards God brings death. I told you a part of being a biblical man is that you know God. Well, the opposite of that is that you're just apathetic towards God. Apathy towards God, it brings death. Laziness brings death. If you don't work, if you don't have a job, that means that you're lazy. That doesn't mean that you're entrepreneurial and you're trying to figure it out. You're lazy. Get a job while you're trying to figure it out. The next thing that you need to avoid is is corrupting where you are. Many of you, you want to be a biblical man, you cultivate the ground where you are instead of corrupting the ground where you are. And then the last thing that you need to avoid, men, is the tendency to freely sin. The tendency to freely sin. I know there's been times in my life where I've chosen just to look There's been times in my life when I've chosen just to go to the place I know I shouldn't go. There's people I've ran with that have chosen to drink the things in excess, to smoke the things, to snort the things, to swallow the things, to do the things. That so many people, so many men are freely sinning. Where's your conscience? Have you no fear of God? What are the things that you're eating that are bringing death into your life, so to speak? And if you're going to be God's man, you got to have a will to obey. you got to want to obey. You You can't just put before your eyes anything. You can't just go and do whatever the hell you want to do, literally. You can't just freely sin and win. And God has this man, Adam, he says, you're my man. I've got one rule. Don't eat of the things that bring death. And so we're talking about God's man tonight. If you want to be God's man, you've got to have a work to do. You've got to have a will to obey. And we just read on and it just simply says this in verse 18. It says this, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And I will make him a helper comparable to him. This is my favorite part. This is awesome. All right, he says, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and He slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it to woman. And he brought her to the man. And in some of y'all's Bibles, if you're reading a real Bible, you'll see like an indention. And there's the first poem in all of the Bible. This is awesome. That Adam, I don't know if you get the picture up until this point. God has been journeying with Adam and he's like giving him a job. And one of the things that Adam did was he named all of the animals. And uh, so imagine like Adam, you know, and God are together and like they go in, uh, to Africa and they see a hippopotamus and, and God's like, what do you want to name this? And he's like, a hippo, and then they see a giraffe. And, and what do you want to name this, a giraffe and so on and so forth. And then the sleep happens and then the rib thing and, and then the woman and then now we've got a musical busting out right here, right? Like Adam, he is so fired up and before he's been like hippo, giraffe, bear. And then he sees her and he thinks, whoa, man, this is amazing. And he just says, oh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and this gives this beautiful poetry. It just makes me think of the movie Enchanted. Have you ever saw that old movie? And the guy that's always singing, you know, and like when he steps down off the bridge and he says, I've been you know, and he just sings to her. And everyone's, I mean, that's the scene, right, that Adam is so excited because he's been faithful to work. He's been faithful to obey. And then the third thing that Adam receives is a woman to love, a woman to love. We're talking about the way of men. Men, you're called to have a work to enjoy, you're called to have a will to obey, and you're called to have a woman to love. The woman, he catches, or she catches his eye, and I love this, he lets her know about it. Ladies, this is your part, okay? I'm so, I'm so tired of hearing young adult women come to me and say, he, he's just so confusing. Like, I think he likes me, but he just won't ever tell me that he likes me. Guys, if you, if you like a woman, say it, all right? Use your words. Now, it's easy for me to say that because I'm now married 16 years, but let me just share with you some of my struggles, all right? My wife, girlfriend, not even girlfriend at the time, had to, had to force me to say it, right? Because I was such a coward, man. I was like, got nervous around her. And, and we finally sat down and had the define the relationship conversation. And she was like, hey, I think you like me. I like you, but you haven't ever told me. And I was like, well, that's funny that you, you like me? (laughs) You know, I was like, so, uh, you know, I was thinking, I've been thinking about this too, you know, and, um, and so, uh, you know, I was, and I've been like, golly, wow, I I wasn't expecting this. And so, um, so what I, you know, I've been really been, and I'm just like when the, in the chairs on the ceiling, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just in the, you know, it's so, um, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And she's like, no, I don't, you know. It's like, I'm more confused. Guys, I just want to embolden you and encourage you that one of the key observations here that Adam, he had a woman to love, but he told her what he saw in her. He, he put his best foot forward. And so, guys, if you want a woman to love, you're going to have to go and express that in appropriate ways. And I think we talk about that here at the block. But listen, he, he tells her that you're, you're wow, you're, 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 you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen is what he says. You know, he's only seen one, but, you know, it, it, but it works, you know, it works. And, and, and they get married, and, and what the Word of God tells us in verse 24, says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice the order of Genesis two twenty four. Adam, he had things in order. Some of you are hearing you're like, man, I just want to get married, you know. I just want to get married. Where is she? And God, would you bring me a wife? And, and listen, men, get your stuff in order. You're made to be a leader. You need to lead yourself first. And until you start leading yourself first, you're not ready to lead anyone else. And so you see the order. Adam, he had a job. He had obedience. He was walking with God. And then God entrusted to him and this woman. I was uh, hanging out with a young adult a few months ago. And he's like, man, man, I think, I, like, I'm, 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 think I'm ready to, I think I'm ready to like, start pursuing marriage. And uh, I said, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. I said, hey, man, I'm not trying to be hard on you, bro, but why do you think you're ready to start pursuing marriage? You're living with your mama. <laughs> and that's not on purpose. Some of you are living with your mama to save money. This is a different situation. I said, you don't have a steady job. I said, bro, just to be honest, I got three daughters. If one of them was marrying age, I would not even tell her to give you the time of day. And I looked at him and I said, "If you were God, would you give one of your daughters to you?" And he kind of looked at me and said, "Dang, that's a good point." <laughs> and so, listen, guys, if you want to get to Genesis two twenty-four, if you want a wife, order your life, get your affairs in order. Some of you are acting like a dog chasing a car. Like if you caught it, you wouldn't know what to do with it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm calling you to be a biblical man. I'm calling you to be God's man. And part of being God's man is that you have a work to do, a will to obey, and then a woman to love. And when you have that woman to love, man, you love that woman. You have eyes only for her. She is your standard of beauty. None of this philandering, none of this uh, looking at other places, none of this window shopping. You you have eyes only for her. And you choose a woman to love, and then you love the choice that you made. And I love this, the conclusion of this in verse 25. They both were naked the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. I love this because this is the first stab at the Bible trying to tell us that sex was God's ideal, that God wants you to have shameless sex. They get married and then they're naked and they're unashamed. And so often in our culture, we get this backwards. We get naked and we, and we do sexual things and then we get married and there's so much shame. And this is the conclusion of some of the greatest verses of the Bible. But then what happens, a lot of you know what happens. We go from paradise to paradise lost. A serpent comes in and starts tempting Eve, this woman, and and starts questioning God's word. If you jump over to Genesis 3 in verse 6, it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate that this serpent was, it, he was cunning and he was asking, did God really say? And, and is God really serious? And, and, and he's questioning God's word. And so Eve, she's tempted. She takes of this food. She takes of this tree and she eats now, I think a lot of times in church circles, men will kind of, they'll kind of rib their ribs, so to speak. They'll kind of elbow the girl and see, like, see, you're the reason why we're in all of this problem, you know. But, fellas, let me just make an observation. It says right here that she ate of it. And then the last sentence, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Listen, Adam was right there. Adam was right there neglecting his responsibility. He should have gone out and got a shovel. And he should have cut the head of the snake off, right? He should have, he should, he should have said, what, what, did that, what did that serpent snake say? What did he say? It, where, where is he at? Let me, let me just crush his head. But instead he said, what did he say? Well, let's give it a try. And instead of defending and protecting and tending and keeping, he was passive. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. The waywardness of man, The waywardness of men. The number one sin for men is passivity. The number one sin for men is passivity. I would contend that this is the original sin. It wasn't Eve taking of the fruit. It was Adam not doing anything. When he should have stood up and he should have tended and he should have kept, he should have served and he should have protected, but instead he just laid back and did nothing. Here's the definition of passivity. It's actively pursuing something other than what God desires and designed them to pursue. This is apathy towards God. This is fantasy instead of reality. This is silence instead of speaking. This is excuse making instead of taking ownership. This is whining instead of getting in there. This is giving in to your pleasures. And isn't this a problem, man? And this is something that we all deal with. It's passivity that leads to prayerlessness, it's passivity that leads to our silence of the gospel. It's passivity that leads us to lack encouraging words to the people around us. It's passivity that leads us to be selfish. It's passivity that leads us to give into our flesh. It's passivity, ultimately, that's causing you to look at pornography and and please yourself. It's passivity that's causing you to lack energy to wage war against your sin. And tonight, men, here's what we need to do. We need to ball up our fists, metaphorically, and we need to punch passivity in the face. And we need to wage a worthy war against the sin that is encroaching in our life. We need to speak up and silence the lies of the serpent. We need to be men and kick the curse to the curb. And that's what Adam should have done. But that's not what he did. And when he messed up, he should have run to God, but that's not what he did. Look here at verse 8. It says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Such a great question. Where, where are you tonight? Are you hiding from God? I think there's been times in my life where I'm like, you know, I think, I think, I think I'm, I'm not hiding from God. I, maybe 70% of me is not hiding from God. Listen, God wants it all. Are you hiding from God or not? Where are you tonight? Where are you in response to your relationship with God? Are you hiding? Are you running? Adam, him and Eve, they were hiding. They tried to cover it up. They tried to hide. And then when Adam calls him out, and I think this is so important, notice that God is looking for Adam. I think if there's some problems in my household and God comes to my front door and my wife answers the front door, he'll look at my wife and say, hey, Chad, or hey, Chelsea, can I speak with Chad, please? That, man, for some reason, God is going to hold you accountable. God's going to hold you responsible for the well-being of your household. And he comes to Adam and says, he says, well, you know, tell me what happened. And then you just see Adam. He begins to do what we do, guys. He begins to say, well, God, see what happened was. I, I, I was there and I was like, and, uh, and he just starts making up excuses. And then he starts blaming, you know, he says, well, it was this woman that you gave me. It was her fault. And then then he goes to Eve, and the woman's like, well, it's the serpent that you gave me. And and they start blame shifting, and it's not my fault, and and none of them are owning it. And all that we know, and everything that was created, begin to unravel because of their sin. That men, the way that we order our life is so important that the most powerful thing in this world is a man who is submitted to God. But the most dangerous thing in this world is a man who is not submitted to God. And your life matters. And what you do matters. And the way you order your steps matter. And many of you, you grew up in a household and you didn't know the way of biblical manhood, but tonight you're learning some things that you can put in motion so you don't run your motorcycle into the tree, so to speak, so that the world's not in flames around you and inside of you because of you, but you're learning a new way, a better way. And what happens here is that our our first parents, they don't respond well. And so God, he gives them a series of curses, and, and one of the things he says to the woman specifically, he says that there's going to be some problems with childbearing, and there's going to be some problems between you and your, your husband, and, and then there's this little glimmer of hope in the midst of everything. He says this in Genesis three fifteen. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He says, he shall bruise your head, talking about the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel, or crush Excuse me. He shall crush your head, but you shall bruise his heel. That this is called the proto-evangelium. You could write out, if you're taking notes in your Bible, this is the first gospel. That God, even in the midst of this curse, he's given a glimpse of the gospel. What he's saying is that Satan, the serpent, will bruise the heel of this offspring that will come from woman. But that that offspring that will come from woman, speaking of Jesus, if you know the rest of the story, he will crush the head of this serpent. That there's hope even in the midst that we've gotten some things wrong, that we need to trust God, that we need to respond where we haven't got it right, and we don't need to blame somebody else. You can't blame all of your issues on your daddy. You can't blame all of your issues on your upbringing. You can't blame all of your issues on someone else. You've got to take ownership, and God will provide a solution for you. So what do we do, men? What do we do? Do we cowboy up? Do we white knuckle this thing and figure out our masculinity? Do we masquerade behind the facades of bravado and pretend like we have it all together when deep down inside we're deeply insecure about our significance? Or we just, do we just give up and turn inward and completely it, it just abdicate all of our responsibility? What are we supposed to do as men? We hope in God and we trust in his way. And I don't know how it all played out, but there came a point with Adam. That he didn't get it right. And God said, I won't take any of your coverings as acceptable. And we find here in Genesis 3.21, it simply just says this. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, you can just write this down the way back. The way back. I want everybody just to close their eyes and bow their head. And I'm going to talk to you about the way back. Just in a few minutes, i want to paint a picture for you. I'm going to try to tie some things together in this story. So I want you to imagine. I don't know if you've seen Avatar, The Way of Water, or some movie like that, all right? I want you to imagine some beautiful scenery. Like, there you are, man. You're living in it. Like, everything's good. You got your wife there. It's like Honeymoon Mall. It's amazing, all right? Don't go into a weird place, but it's a beautiful scenery, all right? You know what I'm saying? Everything's right. Everything's good, all right? And then, men, you especially, you do something you know you're not supposed to do. And everything begins to unravel. You're feeling shame for the first time. You're feeling guilt for the first time. And everything's been good between you and God. And and now, for the first time, you feel that distance that we've all felt before. And then you think, you know what, I can fix it. You know, I made a mistake, but I can fix it. And instead of running to the one that has made everything beautiful, you hide from him, trying to prove to him that you can fix it. And so you try to get some things and and cover some things up and fix your shame, only to be pursued by the very one that you offended God. Then you and God have a conversation. He lays out all of the problems that are going to take place. The work that you were made to do is now going to be difficult. The will that you were given to obey is now going to be difficult. And the woman that you were called to love is now going to be difficult. But he looks at you and says, it's going to be difficult, but I have not abandoned you. You kind of have this puzzled look on your face and you're thinking, what does that even mean? And then you see God walk over and slaughter an animal. And this is the first time you've seen blood like this. This is the first time you've seen sacrifice. And then God, he takes the skin of that animal and he clothes you with his sacrifice. And you still have this puzzled look and you ask God, what does this mean? And God looks at you and he says, because of what you've done, something innocent had to die. And the only way back, the only way that you can be the man or the person that I made you to be is that something innocent had to die. And now you begin to feel the weight of your decision. But you also feel a deep sense of gratitude for the forgiveness that's been given to you. And tonight, what the Bible tells us is that God would ultimately give his son Jesus to lay down his life and to be the innocent, perfect sacrifice so that we could be clothed with his righteousness so that we could have right standing before God, so that one day paradise lost because of our sin would be paradise regained because of his sacrifice. But you have to receive that. You will never be the man that God's called you to be apart from a right relationship with God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you for this opportunity just to be able to get into your word, God, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to scratch the surface of biblical masculinity. I'll be the first one to confess I haven't gotten it right. there has been so many times where I've known what you're supposed to do and I've just, I, I just wrecked. God, thank you for your grace and for your mercy, and your forgiveness. God, for the men here, I pray that you would raise up an army. I pray that you would raise up godly men that would push back passivity in their life, that they would lead courageously, that they would, they would think long-term over short-term, that they would, they would reject the passivity in their life, that they would expect a greater reward, God, that they would be the, the, the beacons of hope, that they would be the, the, those that protect and serve in society. God, I pray that the men in this room, they'd be the best employees in the, in the nation. God, they they would be the the best at what they do. God, the men in this room, that they would be able to tell themselves no and they would be able to avoid the places that are gonna bring death and that they would be able to tell you yes. And God, I pray that you would cross their paths with godly women if you see fit, that they would pursue them. They would use their words. They would say, I think you're pretty. (laughs) And that you would have her say thanks and then ultimately they get married and have babies. And God, you would just help them to have a woman to love. They have strong marriages. God, that they would carry out the mission that you called them to carry out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.